3: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. It is what I love to do: is sit right here and be with you. It's so important to me here at WCCO over the 23 years, and I do so enjoy it. Okay, so let's kick it off right now with Jonathan Lowe, of course. Um, we got to talk a little bit about sports, Jonathan, because I understand that the Timberwolves basketball returns on Wednesday as they open the regular season, hosting Oklahoma City. The pregame is at six thirty p.m., and the tip-off is at 7 p.m. right here on WCCO. Tell me uh, what teams you're Really excited about.
1: Before we do that, before this is this is okay, another sports ish term, inside baseball. This is a little inside baseball. Geraldine Steele, um, for the past two and a half years has taken advantage of our remote technology to uh to broadcast her show. Tonight is a special night for me. She is sitting three feet away from me <laughs> here in studio. <laughs> Welcome back, Geraldine Steele to the studio for a full show. Seven. Oh, on a Sunday night. Welcome back.
3: Oh, oh, it's so good to be back in the space, man. Yes. It yes. amazes me it looks the same. It yeah, looks we, It, I just, it, it I'm ain't like, changed. Can we get a can we, we just we, get
1: We ain't changed wallpaper. We ain't changed the carpet. Can we say we, renovation? Can uh, we say reno, reno uh, Renovation?
3: Uh, uh, My goodness. Money.
1: Um <laughs> so Regarding the teams that I'm I'm eager to... And basically, specifically, you're talking about NBA. The, mm-hmm. the NBA coming back. Their season starts this week. And so I'm excited to see what the Timberwolves do. With the additions of, of Rudy Gobert, with the draft picks that they got, I'm excited to see what they look like as we go forward in the season um, with these new pieces. But, of course... The Golden State Warriors, the defending champions, I'm, I am a fan of that team. I like that team. I'm a fan of Steph Curry. I'm a fan of Clay Thompson. Draymond Green, I, I, he's, he's, he's okay. He's cool. But sometimes, you know, he might do something like punch a teammate in the face during practice, you know, stuff like you that. You would, too, if you were there.
3: You would. I um, swear to goodness, um, you uh, would. Uh, uh, <laughs> you
1: would. Maybe. <laughs> hey, where's maybe. Steph
3: Curry's brother at? Where is he still playing at?
1: He, uh, this is a good question. Um, he is, he is kind of roamed around the league. He's played in Philadelphia. He's played in Los Angeles for the Clippers. I, I don't know where he's playing right now. He might still be in Philadelphia, but I have to check that real quick. He might be in, or or in Brooklyn, one of the two places. Brooklyn, huh?
3: Let's see. He, um, it's a lot of Curry's on here. Okay. Seth Curry, of course we know where he is. But I don't know where his brother is. What is his name again?
1: So Steph Curry mm-hmm. is in, is a Golden State. His right. brother's name Seth, S-E-T-H.
3: Now that is confusing. Yes. Good Lord. It can be, yes. Okay, so I have, to, I have to change my, what I'm looking for. But I would love to know where he is.
1: I believe he, he's listed right now as being in Brooklyn for playing for the Nets.
3: Okay. And he's doing well, right?
1: To be in the league as long as he has, because I think he's coming up on his 10th or 11th season in the league, even to be a journeyman, to, to to have different teams, you know, you've played on five, six, seven different teams, that still means you've got value, and that still means you're getting paid. Right. So as long as you are in the league, as long as you have some sort of value and worth in the league, you're doing okay. You're doing fine, in my opinion.
3: Okay, good enough. I, I just, I really admire both of them. I haven't had a chance to watch Seth as much as Steph. so
1: Again, he's, he's more of a role player. Mm-hmm. He's more of a... What does that mean to me? So a role player, you have your star players that you know, lead the franchise. They have all the, all the billboards, and they're the, called the faces of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Then you have your role players, and your role players can be someone who does a specific role on the team. So if you have someone that comes in primarily primarily to play defense.
3: Or like a punter?
1: Like like football's a little different. Yeah, but still. It's a little different because I think you don't you don't have as many role players. It's the team itself has all the positions are so defined and so mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. that everyone has a role to play. It's just who is the star of the team, who are the big players on the team and there are positions that are more elevated than others Yeah, in basketball and hockey in, in baseball. A lot of times you'll have these, these role players because especially in basketball and baseball or bas- basketball and hockey. You're on the, uh, the ice or the court all the time. You're going back and forth. You're playing offense and defense all the time. So in hockey, you may have your scoring forwards. You may have your, uh, your, Big defensemen. You know they used to call them goons back in the day because they we call them goons. Yeah, all they would do is come on the ice and they would they would be bullies and pick fights and that sort of thing. That's that was their role. And basketball is kind of the same way. You have your your spot up three point shooters. You have your rebounders. You have your defensive stoppers that that are basically playing the point guards and trying to stop the action from happening. So. That's what they talk about when they talk about role players. You have more of a defined role than more of an overall role on the team.
3: Okay, so which sport is your is your favorite now?
1: Basketball still my favorite. Still there. Wow. Still, still my favorite. Uh, I personally like golf as number two for I me. I love
3: to watch golf. Did you yeah. know that?
1: You've told me this. I really you, do You've really love gotten it. into it. Yes.
3: Oh, yeah, I love it, man. Yes. You know, and, and the height of the person matters. Ah. Uh, that's what I've noticed.
1: It so so when you when you golf, the taller the people are, the more. Let's say you're swinging a driver, swinging mm-hmm. an iron, mm-hmm. you can generate more speed just because of the physics of everything. You're you have a wider range of centrifugal force right. coming down I mean. onto the ball, mm-hmm. and and you can generate more club speed. Mm-hmm. But don't don't sell oh, the no, shorter no, no, players. No, no. I know. I,
3: I know a couple I mean, I've seen several of them that play, and I but that's what I notice is that yeah. there is a difference.
1: Well, and it's gonna be the same in most any sport. Taller you are, the more muscle mass you can get the the in a sport like golf, the the bigger club head speed you can generate because of the it's gonna get real sciencey here. I believe it's the fulcrum. Of where the club is, which is where it, it swings from, mm-hmm. um, that the the distance from that to the actual <laughs> club head is going to be longer. If you so guys it can see his more, face,
3: if each of you can really see Jonathan's this. face right now, he's explaining it. And even though he looks a little confused, he is absolutely joyful about just talking. This about is why it.
1: I ain't a, ain't a teacher, because <laughs> every night students would go home. What did you learn today? I don't know. Mr. Lowe was talking some, some kind of garbage, and he got us all confused. Didn't that happen yesterday? That happens every day, Mom. <laughs> happens every day. <laughs> he don't know what he's talking about. All right. got to take a break, don't we? Uh, we? Yes, we can take a break right now. We're
3: going to take a break. But when we come back, we want to let you know that we are opening up the phone lines for this because the question I would love to know to hear your answers about is called, Do Do our votes count in 2022? do our votes count do you believe that our votes including yours counts we'll be back
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning right now families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch visit your local T-Mobile store today it's
2: Is your reward, Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
3: It is now 7.20 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steele Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. And, of course, we are opening up the phone lines to answer a question. Do, do our votes really count? Um, so many people have lost faith. Uh, I was just talking about voting um, at an event I was at just a moment ago. And I have to tell you, um, it's kind of sad. Some people will say, it could be someone off the street. You can just stop and say, hey, are you going to vote this year? And it's, it's really quite remarkable. Some people go, why? Why should I? Because this last election for the president um, was very difficult. And so many people are wondering, did my vote really vote? I mean, really uh, matter? I actually heard someone um, at one of the other jobs that I work at um, who was on television. He was saying, you know, if I have, if I'm almost done counting, we're almost done counting and we're down to like a thousand votes, that doesn't matter. And as he was leaving, I stopped him and said, it does matter. Every vote matters. You can get all the way down to one hundred. Is remember that Norm Coleman and um, who was his name?
1: Ugh. Al Franken. Al
3: Franken. You remember that? Oh It yes. was so close. Yes. Every vote was count needed to be counted. They
1: they had to do a recall, and the recall took. Uh, I'm trying. To, didn't it take in, into January
3: to finally right. finish it? Right. Up? I believe so. And of course, um, we are asking our listeners to join us tonight. All you have to do is call six five one. Um, We're going to start with Gary from Brooklyn Park. Hey, Gary. Hey, how you doing, Jalen? I'm doing well. I'm so glad to hear your voice. So what do you think about this? Do our votes count?
4: I think that this vote is as important as a presidential vote. I think that this vote means more to us because there's so much at stake with it.
3: It's so true. That is so true. So what do you think is the remedy to make sure?
4: Well, I think that people need to believe in the system. You know, I think we were told so often in the the past year or so that things were obstructed that we need to go back to believing in the system again.
3: However, the system has been broken, don't you believe? Do you believe that it's been broken? I
4: think it's been broken somewhat, but... I think we still need to have the Democratic way of looking at things and, and and believing in the vote. And, you know, when you've got the Supreme Court that uh, turns down all of the things that they've turned down, it has to tell us that there's still some believability.
3: Well, I sure appreciate your um, comment on this, Gary. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. I guess hey, you
4: have a great evening, okay?
3: Thank you. I will. Thank you. Um, I think for me, I just want to make sure that as many people as possible can get in if you want to get in on this. Do our votes count? We know what happened at the last election. We know what happened at the election in 2016. We know that the midterms, just like Gary just said, the midterms really do matter. And they matter just as much as the presidential election. And it's really quite remarkable how many young people I have uh, crossed or I have been in their their presence before and asked them, so are you going to vote? And they'll say, well, you know, why? It's not going to count. Why? You know, they they don't believe what we think. And I said, no, 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 you have to keep voting. As long as we've got the ability to vote, vote. We have to do it. Um, But there are certain sections of our country um people that just does, they just don't believe that it really matters. You can reach us at 651-461-9226 if you'd like to join the conversation. And Jonathan, I believe that the vote counts, but there is a part of me, there's a little piece of me that says, but what if it doesn't? And if I have to ask myself that question, I have some doubt.
1: I the the thing I look at is I think votes count. I think our votes do count. I think they are, in 99.5% of the cases, accurately tallied and accurately um, represented. My thing is, when you look at some of these places where, okay, California is a Democratic stronghold. Uh, um,
3: I wouldn't say all of California. But
1: most most of California. But okay. like, I'd say, I'm not saying every single piece okay. of California. I'm saying overall. Uh, overall, New York is a Democratic uh, stronghold. Overall, Alabama and Missouri and Texas are Republican strongholds. So when you go into some of these these races for senator or for congressperson or for um, local localities, if you're on the opposite side, more of the minority side of – this the 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 political sphere in those districts in those areas you might think well I'm going to vote and I'm going to vote one way and I live I know I live in this type of uh, area so it's not going to go my way and so I can understand that dispiriting people but again maybe you help to sway the type of candidate that comes out and comes out and and tries to get your vote. Maybe you start to run for office to say, okay, I'm going to address these issues where people haven't been listening to this for for years and years and years. That's what ideally the process is supposed to be. It's supposed to be people saying, okay, if you're not listening to me, well, maybe I can change the system and run for the system myself. The, The issue is what people believe in that are running for the system and how far one way or the other, how extreme, you know, extreme is a buzzword right now in politics, how extreme people are one thinking one way or another. So I think that's the biggest issue out of everything right now.
3: Well, the Brookings, um, they, they said here in an article, um, the 2022 midterms may well be the first elections ever where the elections themselves are on the ballot. Well, over... Well over 300 candidates across a variety of races this fall are perpetuating former President Trump's assertion that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him and that American elections are deeply flawed. Now, we know that we've come to this truth, <laughs> but yet it just keeps coming up, coming up, and people keep wanting to believe it. And and this is the
1: thing, this is the problem that I have with this argument, and it's, it's come up again. I've thought about it over the past couple of years since this whole thing has been going on, people rarely bring up the, the question and the topic of, okay, so you believe this race was fraudulent. The decisions for this particular one race were fraudulent. There are other races on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that all of the congressional races all of the state representative, Judicial. all the Senate races, mm-hmm. all the judge races, mm-hmm. all the mayoral races, all those are, are bad, too? Because it's not like you separate that yeah, off the Yeah, but we one know thing.
3: for a fact that it's not true. It's just... No, I know it's know not, but... It's, it, and what bothers me is that so many people are still getting on board with that, and they just keep saying it. It's like gaslighting is happening every day, yes. all day.
1: But, but that, and that's and that's what I'm talking about, is that... People don't think, oh, okay. Well, if your ballot is wrong, let's say let's say a hundred thousand ballots are wrong for the presidential election, that means a hundred thousand ballots were probably wrong for your your senator or for your congressperson. So, does that flip that race? No one thinks about. No one thinks sensically that if I affect this one race, this might affect races down ballot. If because logically speaking, if I'm being dishonest on the presidential race, am I not being dishonest on all
3: these other races? Yeah, those questions were, uh, came up the last time we had the presidential election when it was but, Trump running. And um, at the end of that and, and all of the things he kept saying and he kept convincing people of. So I know we have to take a break. I wish we had more time to talk about this. Yeah, I I'm, apologize.
1: All, all I'm saying is that think about it logically. If if one thing is wrong, it's, it's like an apple. You're you, do you cut out if, – if an apple is rotten to the core, do you cut out just a little piece of it and say it's rotten or do you throw
3: out the whole thing? Do you want me to answer that? Go ahead. Okay. So most people that I know would actually cut off the part that is rotten if, if they find that the apple is pleasing, the part that is not, right? So you get rid of one part. It's like someone with, God forgive me, cancer, right? Forgive me for even using that. But there are parts of you that has to go possibly mm-hmm. – but not all of you. And it's the same thing. If if the people are rotten to the core, especially those that are running for office, then it's almost like we will never um, or it will take decades and decades for us to get to a point where we can trust again. And that is a real problem. Now, for those of us that are sitting there thinking to ourselves, well, yeah, you know, it's not going to work. Everybody's been lying. Everybody's been lying. Nobody's been telling the truth. You know, you hear this from young people as well. Um, and it 's not true it 's not true. There are many people that actually believe in democracy, believe in this country. I am one of them. I have not given up democracy i 've not given up on my country. I love this country. I used to have a flag in the front uh, in the front of my <laughs> my car because I love this country. So here we go let 's make sure that we know that we know before we make assumptions we 'll be back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. I am excited because we are going to talk about um, North American traditional indigenous food. And of course, I want to tell you a little bit first. Two years ago, an area of showcase native foods was born over at the Global Midtown Market. And if you haven't been there in a while, make sure you get over there. Now, the Indigenous Food Lab is about to enter the next phase in its mission to reach, teach, and provide. The food from the area's native tribes and cultures. So what exactly is the next for or what exactly is next for this award winning space? Well, let's ask Culinary Director Don Juilliard, who is joining us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Hey Don Hello. Great Who's to you? have you. Great to have you join us. You know, um, I, I hear about this every now and then in the global midtown markets. Tell us exactly what this is all about, North American traditional indigenous food systems and why it's important.
5: Well, we are, um, as you said, um, our acronym is Natives, NATIFS, <clears throat> and we are also the Indigenous Food Lab, which is the brainchild of our founders, um, Sean Sherman and Dana Thompson, who are also the founders of the award-winning um, Awamni restaurant. Oh, that, if yes. your <laughs> listeners are not familiar with, um, they just won the James Beard Award for the best restaurant in the whole nation, and that is quite a prestigious award, and the fact that it is a native, pre-colonial um, ingredient restaurant, it makes it even tenfold, and I don't believe any um, restaurant from the Twin Cities has ever been bestowed that honor, so many kudos to them, and um, so kind of tying into who we are, we are the nonprofit, which is essentially the sister organization to awami by the sous chef. Um, and here at the Indigenous Food Lab, we um, we work primarily with pre-colonial ingredients. And if you have never thought about it, um, I ask one basic question, and that is: We were here living for thousands of years. What did we eat before boats ever came um, from Europe? And the answer is that there were just so many um, nutrition-rich foods that um, Native tribes assisted on in North America, and a lot of those food systems have gone to the wayside and have been stripped mm-hmm. from the people um, as a means of genocide and in a way to um, take away traditions from native people. And so, kind of at the heart of the food sovereignty movement, which Sean, Chef Sean Sherman, is arguably um, one of the leading voices in this movement, is the idea that if you can take away people's culture and identity by stripping away their food systems, isn't the opposite true? That you can bring those things back to a culture and to a community by bringing these traditional indigenous foods and ingredients back into people's bodies and that is at the heart of our mission and what we're doing over at the Midtown Global Market is um, we are building the country's first indigenous food lab where we're taking all these ingredients and we're tasked with making recipes and processes and procedures and different ways to cook with them and present them um, in ways to benefit our communities. And that happens um, kind of with what the people need. Um, So we have done some indigenous smoothie programs for the youth of Boy's Fort Tribe. Um, We are working with White Earth youth to make some food boxes that use indigenous ingredients that are healthy um, and nutritious, that they are going to come down to the food lab, learn how to do this, and take it back to their community and distribute it to their people in in their own towns. And so that's just kind of a, a little bit of a taste of what we do at the food lab. And in tandem with that, we are opening the IFL market in the global market, which is going to be uh, the nation's first um, all indigenous uh, marketplace where we're having not only food produced by Native people, but arts and crafts and books and and just products in general, um, behind the backdrop of our IFL commercial kitchen and our education center, where we're going to be um, producing videos, doing cooking classes, demos, workshops, just a whole plethora of different things in the education side. Um, and it's also a space where... Um, Visiting indigenous chefs or aspiring indigenous chefs can come to train and learn and test recipes and um, just a really supportive environment for chefs and people working in the food sovereignty movement. And we are also going to have a fast, casual restaurant, very much like all the rest of the food stalls that you see at the Midtown Global Market. Um and it's going to be very similar to the kind of food that you would eat at WAMNI, um but it is going to be um a fast casual concept and it's going to be more accessible than Awamni because for all the success they've received um it's quite hard to get a reservation down there so um our um our food is going to be more accessible and available and um right alongside all of the other international vendors that are our neighbors down at the Global Market Do you have a difficulty,
3: and um, I should ask, is it difficult for you to gather the food that you need in order to make um, the food that you want? Because we don't always have everything that you need here in the state of Minnesota. Do you have to travel to other countries?
5: Well, we basically open up, um, when we talk about pre-colonial foods, um, it is We open it up to the continent of the Americas, because food knows no borders. So in our mindset, there is no southern or northern border. or uh, the, the, the food continues. Um, so if you read Sean Sherman's cookbook, it's very regional in very northern plains and Great Lakes areas, tribal foods, which, you know, I think everyone's familiar with, manomen or wild rice and maple mm-hmm. syrup and blueberries and all those things you think of when you think of local Minnesota. To food, but we conceptually open it up to all the foods that were indigenous here. On this continent, and depending on what region you're from, um, people in the Pacific Northwest, the tribes there, you know, have a lot of seafood and and things in the coastal regions available to them. And as chefs, it gives us more creative freedom to kind of bring in some of these things: chilies, tomatoes, um, cacao, things like that from Mexico and South America. So um, our foods are are very um, include all of these things. So it, it adds um, more variety and more creativity for us as chefs.
3: You know, Midtown Global Market um, inv- introduced you guys to us um- back in 2020. And that was during the pandemic. And of course, we're all kind of worried about this winter to see what's going to happen. But the children, no matter what, um, where you're from, or, or if you're an indigenous child, they have been introduced to bad food for a long time. How yeah. How is it that you have seduced them to this food, this good food for them and giving them all the history that they need to understand why it's necessary to have this? Is it going well so far for the children?
5: It is going well for the children, and the question that I presented earlier in this interview of, we were here for thousands of years, what did we eat? You know, that's a question that is not only new to children, but it's also new to adults. Inside and outside of tribal communities, you know, people in Native communities have often not ever thought about it. And so I've, I've seen literally like people's eyes light up and like little light bulbs going over their heads. And so that sparks a natural curiosity that, um, that really motivates people to try some of these things. And I think the biggest challenge for it is we don't have all of these foods that we're working with are all sugar-free, they're all gluten-free, they're all dairy-free, they're all pork, beef, chicken-free. So we do use, um, you know, protein sources that would be indigenous, wild and wild game, you know, bison, turkey, duck, things like that. But a lot of it is vegan, and so it makes it in, in just inherently healthy. But the biggest challenge is our seasoning isn't what we are used to in America. You know, right, in America, right. everything is so overly salted, sugared, seasoned that when you first taste it, the American palate might interpret it as bland. But once you get kind of over that first little hurdle, you're really tasting the pure, natural flavors of the food.
3: So it doesn't take long for
5: our tongues to adapt? I, I don't think it does. I mean, I gave up sugar close to five years ago. And I've only been as the culinary director at Natives for less than a year. So I had come in already with my palate completely cleansed of sugar. I mean, I can have... A tablespoon of salad dressing, and I'm, my brain will immediately know if there's sugar or fructose or some artificial sweetener right. in that. You know, I'm like a, a sugar detection machine. Um, and so, I think it probably took me personally mm, less, than maybe like six weeks to really um, to really be able to get over that feeling that something didn't taste right because it wasn't sweet enough. Mm-hmm. You so- know, it's a little it's retraining our palates. Um, but I think the food is, is amazingly flavorful and it makes you feel so good when you eat it, um, that I think that is motivation. Feeling good is motivating, you know?
3: Well, the, the culinary traditions and, and indigenous communities, uh, to know that you are working so hard to make sure that the children, specifically, I'm, I'm really honing in on that, because they yeah. have to be that generation that starts to say, yes, we're going to eat like this, and we're going to encourage other tribes to to eat like this, and then we're going to get Americans to eat like this. It's got to be this big idea of how this is going to come to be, because we all need it. Not just not just your indigenous people, it's all of us that need to, to taste this type of food, and is, is at the global
5: market are all welcome? All are welcome, yes, absolutely. Um, And we are working on a way to make it completely accessible regardless of your budget, whether you have any money or at all. Um, to set up like a community fund that there will be a dish of a day, whether it be our pasole or our chili or a special um, with some of our house tea blends. We also have a whole tea program yeah. where we're taking traditional indigenous teas and mixtures and and um, medicinal mixes, because also part of this mindset is that food is medicine you know, food shouldn't harm you. Food should help you. And so the things you put into your body should benefit you rather than um, make make you unhealthy. So, um, you know, bringing a tea or a dish of the day, having a community fund, um, that would be much like when you go to the co-op and they ask you to round up. You know, you could say, would you like to round up to the community fund? So we have a little bit of a slush fund. But regardless, if you walk in and you say, I would like community meal today you will be able to have that and enjoy that without having any money and that's really important to us being in south minneapolis um knowing that there are so many people who are affected by poverty and so many people who are houseless that we want them to have a home in the global market and know that they can get a hot meal um whenever they need it. And that's really a part of our mission, too. So we're working hard to make that happen. Um, okay. So,
3: so for my final question, the Native Foods was born at Global uh, Midtown Market. However, are you going to expand? When will we see another one Another the
5: idea is to expand, and our um, founders think big, and I like to say we're building a skyscraper, but we're just on the first floor right now. Um, mm-hmm. I know there are talks um, in Montana. I know that there's some activity in Alaska and also um, in Rapid City, South Dakota. So people are very interested in this, and um, this is the first kind of test. So we're building it, and we're going to be open December 1st for our grand opening at the global market, um, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of media and a lot of attention around that because You know, the success of Awamni has kind of all the eyes on our our organization. I have definitely
3: heard a lot about it. I wish we had more time together. There's a whole lot going on, and it's great. It's great news. Thank goodness. And we do hope to hear more about more um, of these um, kitchens opening, and people can go and and feast on it all. And like you said, don't expect a lot of sugar and don't expect the salt. But if you just give in to it, it can really benefit not just your taste buds but also your... Your body, your' living, how you think, your brain opens up, all of that. so I, I'm definitely going to stop in and, and try it myself. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Don. I really appreciate it.
5: Thank you for reaching out. I really appreciate it. All
3: right, take care of you.:
5: mm-hmm.
3: That was Don Drilliard, um, the culinary director of North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. All right, we're going to take a break and come up and come back and wrap this hour up. It is now 7.54 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talking as we wrap up this hour. Of course, I start thinking about all the soul food that is uh, being cooked in many kitchens in the, uh, the um, African-American community. Um, And it's just really quite remarkable how many foods my parents ate, uh, how many dishes uh, their parents ate, and they're still out there. And we have also found ways to take some of that salt out. Now, yes, there are still restaurants here in the Twin Cities when it comes to Black people loving their soul food, and I understand it. Trust me, um, it, it's amazing how many people have found a way not to put as much salt and not to not to put certain ingredients in that are not going to help us. You know, not not going to keep us safe from from um, so many other challenges that we could get, including diabetes and that sort of thing. So people are working on that, no matter what. Here in America, I'm not going to go buy myself some fried chicken at. At um, the Colonel, you know, I'm not going to do it. There are just certain times I'm not going to go and eat that stuff. And I've been doing so much better um, with staying away from it. But I must tell you this, today I had a piece of chicken. In fact, two, I had a leg and half of a thigh of fried chicken. And I had to take the skin off because it was too salty. And sometimes all you got to do is put it in a little bit of water in a skillet and you can get some of that, that salt out too. So I understand what they're trying to do here. Not trying, but they are accomplishing it at the global market. I do hope that more of us um, that use a lot of salt in food, especially salt, um, that we start getting over it. Just, you know, get get used to not having so much, maybe just half a teaspoon on something you know, or even less than that. I'm trying my best to get away from it. Um, But boy, it is. what is it? I think it's the Egyptians that were the ones who found salt, discovered salt. I would love for you to look that up for me, John. I'll today. have to find
1: that, yeah. Yeah,
3: I, I think they were the first ones to start um, using it in food. I think so. So there we are. We have to quite, you know, <laughs> we have to figure out what's really good for us and for our children. And really the children have... The challenge, because at school, some schools really give them Doritos and all sorts of, um, you know, food they don't need, food we don't need. And I really encourage parents to, you know, if you're going to give them potato chips, put three of them in the bag and walk away. <laughs> They're not going to like you for it, but they will be better for it, that's for sure. So you know, I'm trying it myself. I hope you get on board and try it too. Let it go. If you can let go of sugar and salt, you got something. You really do. Try a little bit of honey, right? Try some honey instead of sugar. You know, I'm drinking coffee black now. I mean, I drink it all the time, black. Every now and then I'll put a little sugar in it, but hardly ever. So there you go. It's been a pleasure being with you for this one hour, this first one. And, of course, the second one is about to start in just a few minutes at 8 10 We're going to talk to Mark Goldwine. He's a senior vice president and senior policy director, committee for a responsible federal budget. That's who we're going to start with. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. We'll be back.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.